Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, Episode 95, Deeper Waters. Thank you so much for listening to the Steve Gregg and Dr. Brown debate from a few uh, few weeks ago. It's been downloaded almost a thousand times, making it one of a few very popular episodes of the podcast, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm also grateful to those of you who've left feedback in the comments thread. I plan on having my friend David Jerislow back on the show, who has discussed Israelology with me twice before. Uh, this time we're going to discuss some of the points Steve Gregg made in support of his view of Israel, uh, and then perhaps I'll interview somebody from the other side of the fence again. Uh, I've got several great episodes lined up for you, or at least I think they're going to be great. Uh, a week or so ago, I interviewed Steve Jeffrey. Uh, if you'll recall, he and I discussed the nature of final punishment on Unbelievable with Justin Brierley, but he joined us to give us the case for post-millennialism. I'll admit that after that interview and in doing some reading of my own, I'm finding it quite compelling, even if I'm not yet sold on it, and I'll publish that interview just as soon as I'm able to. Also, in a few days, I'll be interviewing Jim Hamilton for his complimentarian response to Philip Payne, whom, if you'll recall, I interviewed a while back on egalitarianism. Uh, I also hope to be able to give you the third and final part of the modular debate between my friend Mike Felker and Jehovah's Witness Fred Torres. And at the end of this month, August, I'll bring you an interview with former hyperpreterist Sam Frost. So I think there's a lot to look forward to, and I hope you'll look forward to them as much as I am. Now, before we get into today's interview with Nick Peters from the Deeper Waters blog and his wife, Allie, I want to play today's promo, and I'm going to insert a new promo at this point in the rotation because a few days ago marked the launch of the brand new Rethinking Hell podcast. I know there's a hell outside, you see. And the soul, of course, lives forever in torment. Listening to the Rethinking Hell podcast, where evangelical Christians discuss what the Bible says about hell and put conventional and controversial views to the test. To continue the discussion and find more resources on this topic, you can visit us online at www.rethinkinghell.com. That's right, I interviewed Edward Fudge to kick off our uh, Rethinking Hell podcast. You can listen to the first half of that interview by going to RethinkingHell.com or by searching for Rethinking Hell in the iTunes store. Uh, the second episode will be published next week. Uh, and we have some good podcast episodes lined up for the future, I think. We've also got a number of great articles from myself and from several others that I think uh, are very high quality. And I think that you'll uh, find them challenging. And I would encourage you to check them out. Uh, the website is in its infancy. And so uh, right now, you know, there's still a lot left to be desired. But I think that this Rethinking Hell project has a lot of promise. Uh, and I would look forward to your thoughts and to your interaction. Um, there's a forum there that you can discuss the topic in and you can leave comments at the uh, at the blog as well. So please do check out RethinkingHell.com. And with that, we'll go ahead and we'll move into the interview. But just as a forewarning, the audio quality is not perfect, and we had some technical difficulties that we had to work through. I've tried to clean it up as best I can, and hopefully uh, Nick's and Allie's message will come through. So uh, just listen carefully. Yeah, here we go. Even when the lights are dark 
Even when worlds apart, even when you're falling hard, there's deeper waters. Even when you're feeling lost and the rain's falling soft, even when you're hanging on, there's deeper waters. Joining me today are my guests, Nick Peters, fellow blogger and theology webber, and his wife, Allie. In the not-too-distant future, Nick will return again to offer his evidentialist response to presuppositional apologetic method. But today, he and his wife join me to help us get to know them a little bit first, sharing with us their stories of Asperger's syndrome and how the church can do more for people with disabilities. Nick and Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. No problem. Before we talk about you personally and your stories, can you sort of set the context by explaining what Asperger's syndrome is? Yeah, um, Asperger's syndrome, it's kind of a uh, autism light, as I prefer to call it. And the difficulty of autism, it's very hard to explain because there's not really one definition that fits the mold for everyone. Some common characteristics, however, are that we tend to process information a bit differently. I'll get into this for each of us probably when we get at, talk about individual differences. I will get into it for myself. I'll get into it for me. We also tend to be socially aloof, social customs and mores and such. We don't really understand them. They don't make any sense to us. Hmm. And small talk, that's something that usually kills us. You'll find a lot of artistic people really come alive with being in front of a computer for the first time. And I think my wife could talk best about autistic people and animals. Okay. Well, um, well, autistic people usually have a hard, harder time connecting with other people. They have this, and have this special connection with animals. Um, not really understood how this connection is made, but there have been times where, like, low-functioning kids, including kids who have never spoken in their life, when they've spent time with animals, they start talking. Hmm. I see. Now, from what I can gather, uh, with that introduction kind of out of the way, people with Asperger's casually referring to themselves as Aspies have a kind of subculture all their own. If that's true, can you tell us about that? I'm not sure if I would say we necessarily have a subculture so much as we do tend to bond together. When I meet someone who's an Aspie, I think there is an instant connection. I have a friend who I went to Bible college with. He's been good friends with me for years, and he called me recently, and lo and behold, his son was diagnosed with autism. And one of the first things I told him was, you have a blessing in your life now you get to see the world through an entirely different set of eyes. And he later said in a post about that on Facebook, he said, that's entirely true. It's one of the best things I was told. I get to see the world through new eyes. Mm. Yeah, that's really amazing. Uh, now, Nick, I, I don't know anything about your background and upbringing. Did, did you come to Christ early or late in life? And, and what impact, if anything, did Asperger's have in that? Well, I wasn't diagnosed with Asperger's until I was in, I think, fifth grade. But my parents knew there was something very odd about me, something different about us, and we'll get into this more later on when it talks about how our marriage has been affected, is my diet was 
extremely odd. It just shut down one day, and I only ate selected foods. And to this day, the only foods I eat are finger foods. In other words, I have to use my hands to eat them. Now, when I was about three years old, see, I've been learning a little bit about reading. My parents say I taught myself to read when I was one year old. Wow. But we had a big, big Bible, and my parents would see me poring over it, and they'd think, well, he just likes the shape of a letter or some such. And I asked them one day, what's this word? And they said, oh, chapter. Okay, okay. Now, going back to being three years old, my dad takes me to a store and puts me down in front of a computer, and he goes off to play some sort of video game or something. Now, if it was anything like it is today, his video games don't last too long. <laughs> but he came back, there was a small crowd around the computer, and he tells me that what was typed on the computer screen were all the books of the Bible in the correct order of how many chapters they had. Wow. So I is this your son? Yeah. Did he do that? I don't know. So he cleared up the whole thing and said, Nick, do it again. <laughs> and I did it again. You know, intellectual matters have always been a big part of my life. I don't use paper to do math problems. I tend to memorize most everything. But for me, coming to Christ, it happened when I was 11. It was the first time I'd heard the message of the gospel at a Baptist church. And it sounded like a pretty good deal to me. So I believed it. It wasn't that until later on that I really had to grapple with my faith when I was in high school and I came across really hard times of depression and anxiety and that drove me to Bible college and when I was in Bible college I found out about apologetics and I've been on the internet for a long time and I knew I needed to learn how to deal with atheists so I thought I'll try this out the first book I read was More Than a Carpenter it's pretty good then I got Lee Strobar's Case for Christ I was hooked from that day on. Mm. My depression went away on so I still have down moments every now and then, but before too long, I started having a case where my parents were dreading every time I went to the bookstore because I came home with bags full of books. <laughs> today, my own wife would dread the thought of me going into a bookstore several times. <laughs> no, that's powerful. Al Ali, same question to you. How, what is your story of coming to Christ? Um, well, I grew up in a Christian home, but I uh, wasn't really a Christian myself until I was around 14 years old. Um, I was very rebellious. Uh, I knew God existed, but I hated him. I swear all the time that give him the finger and stuff, tell him the F off and all. And it was just, it was a really hard time. I was being bullied severely. And then I went to a missions trip with my youth group, who I'm forever indebted, indebted to. Um, we were singing the song, and we also read the verse Psalm 139. And then after we finished singing, the song he knows my name I felt like God basically told me 
no matter what you've done, I will always love you. And you've been going through a hard time, but you don't need to worry. All you have to do is believe. Mm. And uh, at the time, I had also been addicted to pornography. And so when I gave my life to Christ, I... Uh, I, right after the mission trip, I told my parents that I had been getting into pornography and asked them to take the computer out of my room. And for a year, I didn't go on the computer unless I was on there for school. That was it. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing uh, those stories with us. Now, Nick, uh, you already kind of told us how you became interested in apologetics, but what about what about your Deeper Waters blog? What's the story behind that? What what led you to start blogging, and, and what do you hope to accomplish with it to this day? Well, I've been doing internet apologetics for quite a long time, and one day I read Hugh Hewitt's book, Blog, and it was a book about how the blog is kind of like the new Wittenberg door. And when you write down a blog, everyone can see it. I thought, you know, if I do something like this more often, I can start having a larger impact for Christ. It's not just one debate that people want to see. There's going to be a writing that they can point to. I can consistently go back to and show, here is my work. Take a look at what I have done. Now, the name Deeper Waters comes because I've been convinced that our theology and doctrine is way too shallow mm. many times. And I want us to dive deep into the ocean of truth. So what I tell people is we're getting out of a shallow Sunday school and we're going into the deeper waters. <laughs> yeah, I can really relate to that. That's kind of why I started my podcast. The very first episode was uh, came about as a result of just that very the very same conviction that the people around me were uh, were yeah. uh, it, were treading around in very shallow waters. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I like the name of your blog. I think it's a little bit better than mine. Now, now you told me over email that your wife is very much a part of your ministry. Allie, how is it that you're involved as Nick's fellow worker for the kingdom of God, as Paul might put it? Well, um, board him and keep him in line if he's being prideful i make sure to knock him down and <laughs> if you know he's too far down try to bring him up um i try to help sometimes with things like when he's typing things out i'll try to help out with grammar sometimes and plus uh i have a little bit of experience in his field because i grew up doing apologetics because of my dad so know some of the stuff I can help with. Hmm. Speaking from a guy's perspective, Allie is really essential to what I do in more ways than people realize. Um, for instance, one thing she does is she does go through the newsletter. She puts art in it. All these drawings, she gets them in a good format. When I get my own website one day, she'll be handling that. She knows HTML, but the biggest thing is, for me, I didn't really have too much confidence mm. until I came along. That kind of gets into the story of how we met, which is coming later. But later, after we got married, all of a sudden I found out I had 10 tons of confidence. I was ready to take on the world. <laughs> and I told someone later on, because I started saying that, and I said, you know what, I think I know what it is. I, I think as a single guy, this was my identity that, 
the only validation I got was in the field of apologetics. And everything relied on that. But now that I'm married, Allie gives me my validation. I am her man at the end of the day, and I'm proud of that. I get to be her knight in shining armor, as uh, we prefer to say after my name on Fiaggi Web. I'm her phoenix, mm. and she gives me that validation. She builds me up. I don't have to do everything perfectly. I can just please her, and if I please her, I have done what I need to do. And it's because of Allie that I am no longer in the place where I was. What you see me doing today, I couldn't do that. Or my ministry really took off after I got married because she empowers me so much. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. It uh, as apologists, we oftentimes, you know, maybe you can relate to this, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll have a conversation with somebody and, and we'll be so, uh, you know, maybe disappointed that that you know what we said didn't convince them or, or you know frustrated with the kinds of yeah. uh, poor thinking that people exhibit and it's such a refreshing it, it's like it's like happening upon an oasis when we return home to our oh. wives and you know the kind of refreshing experience that is now uh, now Nick you and I first talked about having you on the show to talk about apologetic method and we ultimately decided to do this interview first to introduce you uh, I don't want to go too far off topic but I wouldn't mind giving my listeners a little bit of a teaser as to your next appearance so very briefly and, and we'll talk in more detail next time where do you fall on the divide or the debate between presuppositionalists and evidentialists and, and why you know, when you tell me to do something very briefly, you're asking for nearly the impossible <laughs> many times. Sometimes when people read over a post or a friend of mine, they'll say, wow, how did you write so much of that? Because I am extremely thorough at what I do, but I'll try to be as brief as I can. You know, um, presuppositional projects, I did a lot of reading of this in uh, my seminary time here, and I, I am working on getting into another school at the moment, but... My problem with it is really, it's really bad epistemology. Now, for people who don't know, epistemology is the study of how we know things. And Christianity is uh, an entirely comprehensive system. It's got philosophical tenets to it. It's got historical tenets. It's got ethical tenets to it. There is so much going on there. You cannot take one argument and prove Christianity from it philosophically. You have to go to history. You have to go to the evidences. And what I found when I was reading a lot of the presuppositions is that there was this really poor reasoning. In Greg Bonson, for instance, in his book, Van Tiel's Apologetic, he actually treats the five ways of Thomas Aquinas even worse than Richard Dawkins does, I think. Mm. I was just so stunned. He has in there the argument if God created everything, who created God? And to me, that's a question that we should not be asking. I mean, I understand why some people are asking it, and I, I think that's fine. But if you're skilled in Christian philosophy, you should know the answer to that question. I think in too many ways it's just such a problem to say by proving the impossibility of a contrary, where you have to disprove every single contrary. And here this idea that we don't need to study a lot of these other systems. Well, for me, studying the Bible in depth, Hebrew, Greek, all this philosophy, it just makes my knowledge and my walk so much richer. For me, I say 
Christianity is not a philosophy, so you're not going to prove it by philosophy alone. You can defend it philosophically, but you can't prove it philosophically. It is a historical faith, and sooner or later you're going to have to go with historical evidences and go to that empty tomb. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, ho hopefully that will spark some interest on the part of my listeners. Maybe some of my presuppositionalist friends and listeners can send me some questions to ask you when you return. But let's go back to your story then. Uh, Nick or Allie, how did you guys meet and ultimately become man and wife? I had been in seminary there, and Gary Habermas and I had emailed some. He'd come to speak at my church one time. He talked about doubt. And I said I lacked confidence earlier. I came up to him and said, uh, Dr. Habermas, I don't really doubt Christianity. I doubt how well my understanding is a lot of times. Can you help me overcome this doubt? Can we email back and forth? And he agreed. And so every now and then I'd an email and he'd send me one back. And I was getting off work one day. I knew he was coming to the seminary to teach a module. So I thought I'd drop in and see him. And when I came by there, he uh, Tell me about Mike Lacona's daughter and what a hard time she was going through and that she has Asperger's and Frank Turek had said, well, Nick has Asperger's. And at this point, hon, would you care to step in and tell what was going on for you? Well, Gary Haberman, Dr. Gary Haberman, uh, I've known him pretty much since I was born. So my, my nickname for him has always been Uncle Gary. <laughs> And, um, and no, we're not blood relatives for some reason. I just ended up calling him that one time. And he liked it, so I've called him that ever since. Um, I had, uh, just gotten out of a really bad romantic relationship that, uh, caused me to, uh, try to kill myself. Mm. Uh, well, I had to be hospitalized, and once I got out of the hospital, I got an email, and it said, Hi, my name's Nick. I have Asperger's, too. I heard you're having a hard time. Dr. Habermas told me about you and said that you were looking for a friend. So I talked to him for a bit, and things were going well. Uh, for a little while, I called him Sensei affectionately <laughs> because I kind of thought of him as a teacher in a way. And I'm obsessed with the Japanese culture. And um, then I started developing for Nick, and I'm really unhappy about that for one because Nick is a complete, total, utterly geeky guy. I did not want to be. <laughs> Unless he was Japanese, I did not want to be with a geek. Um, I had also just had such a bad relationship with someone. I really didn't want to you know, suddenly get into another relationship. But almost tried to hold it back. It just kept growing and growing and growing until I just couldn't hold him. I had feelings for him. And I did it in a way where basically I posted all these things on Facebook that said, I love you, and all these pictures and stuff. Uh, I think I probably freaked them out then. <laughs> and so uh, we had our first meeting a couple months later, and it was a love at first sight. And 
and just kept dating and stuff until uh, Christmas. He proposed, and then that fly, he got married. We've been married now for two years. Congratulations. If I could add in some things here, uh, even more amusing is that I had said she'd never date or marry an apologist. <laughs> Lo and behold, here I am. Now. Thanks for announcing that to the whole world, Nick. <laughs> and where we, we talked about our proposer also, I proposed to her on Christmas Eve. I just want to tell this story. And see, I was supposed to pick her up at the airport. She was going to drive with me from Charlotte to meet my family in Knoxville and spend Christmas with us. I already had everything planned out. Her mother had even helped me with her ring. She'd gotten the stone. It was a family stone. And at the Charlotte airport, there was a statue of Queen Charlotte. Now, I always call Allie my princess. And so I picked her up at the airport, and I said, before we go, let's look at this statue here. And it's, it's a fountain statue, very tall, very impressive. And she's looking at I've got the box in my hand. I'm fumbling with it, trying to figure out the right way to open the box. But, you know, I don't want to open it and have it, the ring fall on the ground. <laughs> but I'm sitting there fumbling, and finally I've got it ready. So I'm, I use the line that I've been practicing for a while in my room where I said, so, uh, princess, have you ever thought about being a queen? And, oh, she gave a great answer. She said, only if you're the king. Aww. And I said, well, I guess you've made this easy for me. And I got down on my knee and opened the box, and, oh, she was stunned. And there I popped the question, and I was stunned as well because my cell phone rang at that exact moment. <laughs> and I, well, I ignored it, of course, but later on I thought, well, it had to be mom. She always calls at the worst time <laughs> because she called while I'm proposing. That's right. It was her mom calling to let me know Allie's plane had arrived early. And so this is a story about the uh, continually held embarrassment, I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah, we were married on July 24th, so we just recently celebrated two years together. Two years have gone by, and she hasn't killed me yet. Come <laughs> close. Yeah, well, you got plenty more years for that to happen, so you better watch yourself, Nick. Yep. I had a baseball bat up your side of the bed, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, okay, well, let's talk then about married life, uh, and then let's talk about how, how Asperger's affects your life on a day-to-day -day basis as a couple. What, what's married life like as Aspies? It's uh, just like for any couple. It's got its rough it has its good times and its rough times. Um, something that's really great with us both having Asperger's is that uh, we both understand each other uh, where we're coming from pretty well. So, How about you, Nick? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, we got the same kinds of things everyone deals with. I mean, we have to pay the bills, for instance, which has been very tough for us from the, from the start because I've had job difficulties for a long time. Like I lost my job three months before we got married. And as of this day, I'm still technically unemployed by regular income. I am a social media and communications expert with Rashio Christie. That's donations-based. We're still looking for those to come in. But we've still got the same difficulties. And usually we try and work things out the best. When we have 
arguments. We try to talk out our differences. And one thing I always try to do my best to affirm Zalia is I love her. I'm standing by her. And that means I have to watch myself constantly. I know my own weaknesses, my own fallacies. If I'm out in public, for instance, if Allie, Allie knows that if there are other women around, I'll look away. And in fact, she thinks sometimes I'm too extreme in this, but I'm wanting to honor my eyes entirely. And I take very seriously commandments such as, even in Ephesians, that as Christ loved the church. And what I often tell married guys is, like, if you read that passage and you're not nervous, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. He's a lot better at that than I am. I'll still watch movies with hot guys and I'm like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> well, that's easily understandable. It is Hugh Jackman after all. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. And the uh, guy from Thor, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk about you guys as individuals then. Uh, if if married life isn't all that, you know, altogether different with Aspies, how, how does Asperger's affect your day to day life as individuals? Um, well, for one thing, we tend to have a difficult time, um, explaining things. Um, I've had a, uh, and like also like how people interpret what we're saying. Um, I've had a lot of people get upset with me because they, when I say something, they think I mean I'm trying to offend them or something when really I'm not. That can be even me. Mm. Yeah. And um, I uh, daydream a lot. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll spend more time during the day daydreaming than actually doing anything. <laughs> uh, so that kind of goes with the whole, you know, being stuck in your own world. Um, but mostly communication. Uh, it's hard to look at people in the eye and yeah. people will... Uh, take offense with that as well um i'm not i'm not quite sure why exactly we have a hard time looking other people in the eyes uh over the years i've gotten a little bit better at it but i just keep trying and trying and trying to do it but i'm not to where, i'm not where i need to be yet with that yeah uh, and uh, we also obsess over things yeah uh, i uh obsess over anime uh, lately my obsession has been with animals so and Nick has his own obsessions apologetics and video games and, <laughs> uh, something else I'm not going to discuss because I find it embarrassing okay. uh, well well for instance next switch from my perspective as well when Thing I always have for people when we talk about what Aspies do is when I tell you I'm an Aspie, it's an explanation. It's not a justification. Okay? Yeah. I have a hard time looking at you in the eye because I, I'm an Aspie. I'm not saying that justifies what I'm doing. I'm saying that explains what I'm doing. But uh, the obsessions, that's definitely very real. For instance, when Smallville was on, Oh, I, I, I watched that show religiously. <laughs> I had, keep in mind, there were 10 seasons. I had every episode title memorized in order. Probably could still give them all off. And 
just tell you everything that happened in an episode. I loved it. Allie can tell you, not to mention video games for me. She can tell you if we're out walking around, I start humming some sort of tune. She knows, yep, it's Final Fantasy or something of that sort. It's stuck in my head. But meanwhile, with the uh, social interactions, one instance I'm thinking about is uh, a friend of mine and I, who was actually the best man at my wedding, we went to a kingdom hall once together, which, if anyone doesn't know, that's where Jehovah's Witnesses worship. And keep in mind, I'm the kind of guy who I'm thinking, I could take on anyone in here probably in a debate on the Trinity. But when we were leaving, all these people came up and did what we call the love bombing. They mm-hmm. went and showed you what great people they are by one get to know you, and they came up and they started shaking my hand. And one of them shaking my hand, and my friend just looks at me and says, Say your name. Now, I knew that's what I was supposed to do, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was caught in a freeze, and there are many times someone says something to me, and they say it again, because they think I haven't heard them, when really my response has been so inaudible that people just don't pick it up. And in reality, I'm trying to respond to you I just don't know how to say it. Now, with apologetics, yeah, that's definitely been a fixation of mine. I go to our library regularly and check out several, several books. Uh, I came home after we shortly moved here one time and came to Allie and said, can you believe they only let you check out 15 books at a time? How are you supposed (laughs) to survive? In that case, I say burn the book, but he gets mad at me when I say that. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm really hoping I could get some like a nook or something for my birthday when that comes up, so I can also read even more audiobooks. So I can be reading while I'm driving. And I know that when a debate starts, it's like stay out of the way. My husband is fully active now, and he's getting really excited and really engaged. Mm. That's very interesting. Well, what about? What about Asperger's effect on your Christian walk? Are, are, are there any ways in which it impacts that? Yeah. One aspect I can think of is that my old church, we were told we needed to go out, we were going to speak at this conference, and do some man-on-the-street evangelism. Hmm. I would rather speak to 100 atheists in the crowd assembly than speak to one person on the street one-on-one. It is far easier for me to speak to a huge crowd than to go up to someone and initiate a conversation like that. So that kind of evangelism, that is one of the worst things you can ask me to do. Now, if someone can get that conversation started, I could probably do a little bit better. But if I have to start it, I am so stuck. Hmm. But we're good at, you know, starting conversations about things that are our interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'll i talk to anyone about anime, basically, <laughs> and I'll talk about it for hours. I don't care if you're a complete stranger or someone I know, I'll talk about anime with you for hours and hours and hours on end. Well, I'm sure that you and I could talk sometime, because uh, while I don't necessarily share your fascination with anime, I was a very big fan of uh, Japanese culture. In fact, I spent... I love couple- Japanese culture. 
Yeah, I, I learned Japanese when I was in high school. I've spent a uh, few weeks wow. in, ja- in Japan. So, yeah, we could probably have some <laughs> conversations that last a while. But, uh, That's so awesome. Yeah, we'll do that I would time. love to take my wife to Japan someday. It's been a dream. Heck, even when we lived in Charlotte, I knew a queen of four time, but I just went to a tri- travel agency one day and said, hey, just tell me how much it would cost. I want to get an idea. Mm-hmm. They probably said an arm and a leg in your head. <laughs> it is it is a little bit expensive to uh, to fly that far yeah. away. That's very true. Uh, but in any case, uh, you, you mentioned uh, that you recently moved. Uh, how does Asperger's play a role in, in what church you call home? How, how did you go about finding a church in, in your recent move? <laughs> oh, geez, this was such a chaos for us because we kind of wanted to be separate from my parents. I mean, they got a nice church, but we wanted to find a church that was out home and they're Methodist, and we're not. Hmm. Nothing against Methodists, of course. I mean, we'll go there some on Sunday nights. I got a, a really good speaker, who preacher, who does some great talks on Sunday nights. I'm hoping I can interact with him some more, but we go with word of mouth. The first church we went to, it was screaming and hollering, and I just seeing me the whole time there, visiting, wouldn't go crazy, but realizing I, we can't leave him a midter. That would be rude. The second church we went to, his sermon had nothing whatsoever to do with what the text was about. But finally, though, uh, my sister, and she recommended yoga. Allie, would you like to tell the story from this point? Um, sure. Well, uh, I was hesitant at first to try this other church. I'm very picky at churches. Um, the last church we went to in Charlotte, uh, I didn't really like it because it was literally just all apologetics, just all stuff I've heard growing up, and I want to be able to le- learn something new when I'm at church, you know? Hmm. I was like, Nick, please not go to an apologetic church. So we uh, visited this church called The Grove. It was exactly my type. I mean, it was it had contemporary music, good message, uh, nice people. It was it was really great. So we've been going there since. You know, this brings me to mind. For instance, the uh, pastor's wife there is named Penny, and here's an example of how Asperger's affects us. We both like to watch The Big Bang Theory. Oh, I love that show. I describe. I describe it as a show about four perfectly ordinary normal guys sitting <laughs> together. I don't know why Ali thinks that's incorrect, but I am very much like Sheldon, so I'll go up to the pastor's wife and just say, Penny, 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 <laughs> over and over. So that, that's, that's just another way Asperger people act. I mean, we kind of get mindsets in us from things we see and hear, and I think in some ways that's how we know how to act a lot of times is that we don't know on our own. We watch other people. And I'm not saying that that way Sheldon acts is the way to act, but we just get funny things in us. And I think I could definitely back me with this, that for me, a joke is just as funny the 723rd time as it was the first time. <laughs> yeah, I get tired of this joke. And, like, for me, if I know someone really well and I'm in a good Dude, I may take a anime character persona. I might be one of those like 
really squeaky girls sometimes or you know someone or I'll be someone kind of stupid but but really awesome like Goku and you know things like that that's funny well you know my podcast being the the apologetics podcast is is you know kind of focused on theology and apologetics but I really do welcome the opportunity uh, to share with my listeners information that will help them better love and meet the needs of others, uh, sort of becoming more united as a body of Christ. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things that we Christians uh, particularly uh, need to know about Aspies? One thing I'd say right off the bat is if we went into a church and people immediately loved on us, came up to us, wanted to get to know us, wanted to talk to us, we would be running scared from that place immediately. Hmm. The idea of kind of like being very forward in your approach doesn't work with Aspie. It turns us off. Well, and not completely. It's more like if they, like, you know, come over and hug us and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They we just approach like us that. to talk to us. We're okay with that. But it's, it's like they come over hugging us and, and shouting at us, whether it's because they're mad or because they're happy, we just can't handle that. Mm. Very, very extroverted people, I would say, are very difficult for us to understand. We don't understand people who really just want to get to know us when we don't even see why they would. What we want people to do is really just be patient and slow with us. One thing we have is that people with Asperger's are like dogs. It might take a while to earn our friendship, but if you really earn our friendship, we are loyal for life. We will cross this file for you. Hmm. Well, well, let me talk about that just a little bit more because uh – you know, obviously, in a church setting where you're where you where you're going to a new church, uh, the people aren't necessarily going to know uh, that you guys have uh, Aspergers. So the question I would have for you is, uh, what kind? You know, for people that might that might be listening that may very well be uh, incredibly extroverted, uh, if they were to approach some newcomers to their church uh, who they don't know are Aspies, and they were to be uh, overly extroverted, what kind of signs, what kind of signals could they look for that might tell them, hey, maybe I should back off a little bit uh, because, you know, maybe this isn't the kind of approach that's going to uh, make these people feel comfortable? Well, for me, it's what I do is I uh, kind of, uh, I, I don't really answer things. I kind of sound like I'm in a hurry to kind of get out of the situation. Uh, I won't look at the person at all, not just in their eyes, but I won't look at them at all. I'll just, you know, kind of, sort of pacing in a bit, just trying to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. But it could be different with other people. That's just in my experience. What about you, Nick? I would say, for me, it's kind of like the deer in the headlights thing for me. And for people, you know, it's easy to assume someone you meet is rude. Like you said, people can't see Asperger's from the outside. If someone comes in in a wheelchair, everyone automatically knows you don't challenge him to a foot race. That's insulting. Mm. But for us, if we come in, you don't invite us to be social. And I used to work at Walmart for a while. One job I could not do well at all was to be a greeter at the door. That would terrify me. Mm. Because people walk by and I know what I wanted to say, 
but I couldn't say it. For me, I'd say if a person you're talking to is really quiet, if they're avoiding eye contact, if they are looking like they want to get out of there, back off a little bit. I have this going on with a friend of hers who lives in Charlotte who was very touchy-oriented, and I didn't like that, so I just talked to her one day and said, you know, I would really like to be good friends with you, but she just says, can you please avoid touching her so much? It it's, makes her uncomfortable. I mean, it wasn't any inappropriate touching or anything, of course. They're just hugging on the cheek. Yeah, I mean, for most people, that'd be just fine. For Ari, it was scary, and I understood. I said, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that's fine, and they worked it out, and they they remained really good friends. Hmm. Well, so once somebody does know uh, that somebody that's new to their church or, you know, something like that has Asperger's, uh, is there any other additional advice that you would give them so that they can cautiously and, and, and patiently develop a, a relationship with you guys? Uh, that's a horrible way to put it. But, you know, develop a, a relationship with somebody yeah. that, uh, with Aspies. Um, because I'm sure that, you know, people that might be very extroverted, that, you know, they, they would love to develop relationships uh, with people affected by Asperger's. But, but how can they go about doing that once they realize that somebody that they're trying to get to know has Asperger's? Be patient. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you really need to watch us, find what we're doing, find out what makes us tick. I could be totally silent to someone, and then they could come up and say something like, so what did you think about season nine of Smallville? Oh, I am ready. Let's go. Let's go. Hmm. Or they could say something you know, is there really any evidence that Jesus rose my dad? Okay, we can talk now. You really just have to get to know us. Let us step out tentatively. One aspect of it's out about is, for instance, with my Asperger's, I am very hydrophobic. That I'll go on mention one way that Ari's changed me as well in dealing with things like this is I mentioned earlier my diet. I have added several new foods to my diet ever since we got married. My doctor is stunned. He's like, <laughs> who is this miracle worker you've married who's got you to do these kinds of things? And I told my former roommate, who was, again, our best, friend, best man at the wedding, said, you know, I no longer even keep pizzas in the freezer for me. Wow. Because Ari's changed me that much. I want to have a better diet because I want her to be healthy also, and I everything I do, I know I have to lead by example, but getting to where I was saying is that I'm hydrophobic. Now, I love water. For me, I don't really care for it. <laughs> I don't even wash my face in the shower. That's how scared I am of water. So on our honeymoon, I took us to Ocean Isle Beach. Now, it might sound odd to think, I'm scared of water. I go to Ocean Isle Beach. I don't really go in the ocean too much. I kind of like walk on the edge of the water, lap my feet some. That's fine with me. But I wanted to help me. And she took me out in the pool, for instance, and we got into about five foot deep. She got me away from the edge. I'm holding on to her the whole time. There was a part of me I was saying, she's trying to kill me. She's <laughs> trying to kill me. That, that crazy irrational side was there, but 
I took those little steps. I think I got waist high in the ocean the first time. It was just taking steps little by little. And it's the exact same way of getting to know us. It's like getting used to the water. You have to step in little by little. We will not go in too deep if we do not think we are safe. We have to be sure we are safe in what we do. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, what, what would you like to see the local and wider church doing more, do, doing better, not just for Aspies, but for people with disabilities in general? Yeah. Yeah, the disabled crowd is a community that's overlooked. You see, when you, uh, one thing you, you're told and when you study anthropology, for instance, is never assume the culture you are studying is like yours. Well, our culture is not really like yours. We don't see the world the way you do and realize there are people who have differences. They just don't function the same way, and they need people to reach out. People who are autistic need Jesus also, and you're not going to reach them through the exact same methods you'd use with everyone else. I think, for instance, my method of intellectual apologetics and such would work much better for a lot of these people because it'd be easier for us to communicate through the computer. And many Aspies have great intellects, great minds for understanding matters. I'd say for some people who are wanting to understand us better, a couple of movies I could recommend. And keep in mind, these aren't Christian movies, so there's going to be some like profanity, some sexual things and such in there, but they would be... First, Mozart and the Whale, and then Adam, another great movie to watch. I think these will really help people understand the Aspie community. Okay, I'll make sure to uh, include those in my show notes so people can check those out. Um, if you guys could leave our listeners with a parting message of sorts, what would you like to say? What, what most do you hope that we take away from our discussion today? Well, I'd say that while we're different, we're people just like you. We may not always show it, but we have thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams and desires. We all want to do something special. I really have devoted my life to wanting to make a difference. I mean, Allie and I were even talking about this today with an issue that we're dealing with right now, and I said, and I, all I want at the end is I stand before that phone, I want to say, well done, well done. What I would say is, that's ultimately, we're people, and once you get to know us better, you can understand why we're the way we are, and maybe you might even understand why you're the way you are. Yeah. How about you, Allie? Do you have anything to say as a parting message? Um, yeah, just uh, someone with autism or Asperger's, uh, just really patient. It's worth it because you'll have a friend for life. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Uh, Nick, where can my listeners go to find your blog, and, and how can they get in touch with you? And, and Al, if you've got if you've got any uh, presence on the web somewhere that you'd like to share, please welcome to do so, too. Yeah, for me... I do debates at theologyweb.com under the name of Apologia Phoenix. I have my own section there called Deeper Waters. 
You can find Deeper Waters on Facebook as well. My blog is deeperwaters.wordpress.com. There's a way where you can support what we're doing. And our ministry also is supportable through Ratio Christi. I do work for them. And through Tectonics. I happen to be the ministry partner of J.P. Holding of Tectonics, and we work together on our issues a lot of times. But that's where you can find me. I do hope sometime in the future to have a Deeper Waters podcast when we have some more income coming in. I would love to have a website built up. I've already talked this over with Allie about the kind of thing we do. And, of course, I'd be available to speak for any church or Christian organization. I could be emailed at apologianick at gmail.com. How about you, Allie? Do you have a, a presence on the web that, that you want to share? Uh, I'm a Facebook fanatic. Um, you can find me at facebook.com slash toodlesdoodles. That's spelled T-O-O-D-L-E-S-O-O-D-L-E-S. And uh, I'll talk to anyone unless uh, you uh, insult me, then... Uh, uh, prepared. I don't have the greatest temper these days. So, <laughs> uh, be prepared for that. <laughs> well, I don't think that uh, any of my listeners would uh, would befriend you on Facebook just to insult you. But anyway, I would be surprised. Deal with me. What's what you say? They did. They deal with me. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, I, I thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the time that you've uh, taken to spend with us, and and I hope that uh, myself and my listeners will both take. Uh, take to heart what it is that you've shared with us. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank no you. Problem. Thank you for having us. It was, a, it was a privilege. We look forward to next time. Well, there you have it, Nick and Allie Peters. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we'll take to heart what they had to say. Uh, Nick will join us in the future to respond to presuppositional apologetics, but next time will be Jim Hamilton responding to Philip Payne's egalitarianism. Until then...